22. I don't know if Jim told you or not, but uh, I was not here at the beginning of the service because I had laid my sermon down uh, after teaching Sunday school and had to run back over to the office to get it. What it reminded me of was the first sermon that I ever preached after I graduated from uh, seminary because uh, I was supposed to preach an evening service and was getting ready to go. I could not find my sermon anywhere. We had not unpacked our computer, so I couldn't go print out a new one. Um, I had written it out and uh, was so scared I looked everywhere. And I knew where I had laid it. Well, what had happened was uh, my wife thought it would be funny to hide it between the mattresses of the bed so that I couldn't find it and was laughing at me while I was tearing the house apart. And so, I don't know how many years ago, you, you act like you've forgotten. I haven't forgotten. So, anyway, Philippians chapter 2, we have been working our way through the book of Philippians passage by passage, and so we come now to the uh, last paragraph in Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. I have thought it, the Apostle Paul writes, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send Him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing Him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive Him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking His life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, as we have this man who lived so long ago, this man named Epaphroditus, Um, uh, here before us in the Scriptures. I pray that as we examine His life, as we examine His service, that we might conduct ourselves likewise. For He was a man who loved the Lord Jesus, put Christ and His kingdom first, put others before Himself, and even risked his life almost losing it in order that the kingdom of Christ may grow and spread. God, even as we look at Epaphroditus, help us to look past him to our Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've mentioned the name of Epaphroditus several times as we have been moving through the book of Philippians. Uh, He's actually a pivotal figure here in this letter. Without him, the book of Philippians would not have been written. And so he is the subject of our passage this morning. The question is, who is Epaphroditus? Well, in order to understand who he is, if if you'll allow me to take a couple of moments to review... Uh, how we receive the word, uh, how we receive this letter of Philippians into our Bible. 
you will remember when we first started looking at the book of Philippians, word had gotten back to the Philippians that Paul was in prison in Rome and that he needed some support. And so the Philippians loved Paul uh, because he was their, um, in a manner of speaking, their spiritual father. He had preached Christ to them. When they heard that he was in prison and he had uh, physical needs um, and needed some money, they took up a generous collection and appointed Epaphroditus to take this collection to Paul and then to stay with Paul and uh, take care of his needs. The trip from Philippi was long and dangerous. It was about an 800-mile trip. It would have at least taken six weeks to get from Philippi to Rome. And we know from other of Paul's letters that uh, Paul always instructed the churches, when you are traveling, don't travel alone. And so Epaphroditus was most certainly accompanied by several other men, especially since he was carrying such a large sum of money. But while traveling, he fell ill. In fact, he nearly died. Apparently, he was still ill when he arrived in Rome, and his health was still in doubt when those who had accompanied him to Rome turned around and went back toward Philippi. So Epaphroditus is here in Rome with Paul. These men have gone back to Philippi. The church in Philippi is going to hear how sick that Epaphroditus is and that he may die. So Paul decided to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi once he regained his health. He knew that the Philippians would be encouraged to know that he was alive, and that um, it get, and it also gave Paul an opportunity when he's going to send um, Epaphroditus back to Philippi to write the letter uh, to encourage them to thank them for their. Uh, their support of his ministry. Additionally, uh, Paul had heard from Epaphroditus that there were divisions in the church, and so he wanted to write to the church about the divisions, and he wanted to urge them to remain uh, committed to the gospel and to remain uh, unified as a body, uh, to remain unified in their purpose, to remain unified as a church. So Paul wrote this letter, this letter that we are now studying this morning, this letter that we have been studying for the past several weeks, this letter that we now know as Paul's epistle to the Philippians. He wrote it and then he sent it back to Philippi with Epaphroditus. And so Paul is writing to the Philippians here in our passage about uh, his desire to send Epaphroditus back. But in sending Epaphroditus back, he wanted to reassure the Philippians it was not because Epaphroditus was not wanted or not useful. Rather, just the opposite was the case. Paul deeply appreciated Epaphroditus, but he knew that the, uh, that the congregation in Philippi uh, was struggling. He knew that they had uh, some divisions that were threatening to break up the church. He knew that they were suffering persecution. And so he knew that it was more important for him to encourage the Philippians by sending Epaphroditus back with this letter than it was to keep Epaphroditus there in Rome with him. I want you to look at verse 25. 
In verse 25, Paul is telling the Philippians that he is sending him back. And uh, in so doing, he says four things about Epaphroditus. So he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And first of all, we see he calls him my brother. Secondly, he says, my fellow worker. Thirdly, my fellow soldier. And fourthly, your messenger and minister to my need. And these four things will serve as subpoints for the first point that I want to make this morning. And together, these four points are going to uh, show us aspects of how we can be effective in our work for Christ's kingdom. Epaphroditus was effective in his work for Christ's kingdom. In looking at these ways, these four ways that Paul describes Epaphroditus, hopefully we will see how we ourselves can be effective uh, in Christ's kingdom and in the work that we do for Him. There's really nothing profound in these four points that we see here in verse 25. Um, these things that uh, we see Paul listing in regard to Epaphroditus are also characteristics that are abundantly evident in many of your own lives. These things, many of these things that we're going to learn about this morning, you take for granted because you practice them already. But I'm learning that you can take nothing for granted. And so we'll go through these four points. In fact, even the most simple and straightforward of things must be addressed these days. Uh, for example, this whole issue of the sanctity of marriage. One of the most simple and straightforward of all of the Bible's teachings. God alone is the author of marriage. He defines it. But yet, we have this institution of marriage being openly questioned by some of our elected leaders and even some of the mayors of our um, largest cities. Um, your marriage, my marriage, is holy and is meaningful because God created the institution of marriage. He created the blessings of marriage. He created the boundaries of marriage. And it is sad and frightening to see our leaders so easily reject God's Word. So, um, we can take nothing for granted these days. But back to Epaphroditus. Paul calls him here in verse 25, my brother. This mutual commitment between Paul and Epaphroditus was so close that Paul could refer to their relationship in terms of being brothers. I'm not exactly sure how long Epaphroditus was with Paul before Paul wrote this letter. But he'd been there long enough for them to grow in their relationship, even to the point that Paul calls him, my brother. This kind of commitment to each other in the church is essential if we as a church are going to be effective in Christ's kingdom. You cannot live effectively for Christ on your own. As preachers like to say, there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. You need your church family. And others in the church need you. Living in this world is difficult. 
being faithful to Christ is difficult. Growing as a Christian is difficult. We need the mutual encouragement, the, the affirmation, the accountability that is, that is an ordinary characteristic of a healthy church family. God created the church in order that the church might be the body of Christ, in order that the church might be a family, in order that we might support and encourage and uh, build each other up. God gave us the church so that we together as a body might be able to help each other become more like Jesus. Do you think of this church as your church family? It is essential that that be part of the core of how we identify ourselves. Paul also calls Epaphroditus his fellow worker. Being effective in your calling uh, for Christ requires of you hard work. Paul says in in, uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, we looked at it a few weeks ago, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to, to His good purpose. So you are called to work hard But it doesn't mean, of course, that you earn your salvation by hard work. You can only be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. Only be saved by resting in His finished work. But when you entrust yourself to Him, it means also that because He has changed you, you will want to serve Him. If Christ is just a fire insurance policy for you, then it is doubtful that you will want to serve Him. But if you really love Him, then you will work hard to follow Him. God's grace in our lives does not relieve us of personal activity. Rather, it makes us work harder. This is the principle uh, that Paul laid out in verses 12 and 13. God works in us. Therefore, we work out. And that work will be a joy. You stood up a little earlier if you volunteered for Vacation Bible School. I want to see the hands of those of you who volunteered for Vacation Bible School. And I want to ask you, are you tired after working all week for Vacation Bible School. I see a lot of heads nodding. I'm tired too. Now I want to see a, a show of hands. How many of you enjoyed working at Vacation Bible School? See all the hands? That's my point. Because Christ loved us and called us to Himself. We work hard in giving ourselves away for others. And it is hard work but it's also joyful. There's nothing better. Thirdly, Paul called Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. Becoming a Christian not only causes us to work hard for God, it also causes us to engage in spiritual conflict. 
Many people have this idea that when God calls us to Himself, that we become a Christian and God wants us to be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. But that is not the case. In reality, the Christian life is spiritual warfare. Becoming a Christian oftentimes means that your life is going to become very much harder than it once was. Um, I know that there are several people here this morning who are suffering simply because of their testimony in Christ. I know there are several people this morning whose husbands or wife um, have left their marriage, uh, have left you because of your faith in Christ. And it hurts terribly. And that's part of the spiritual conflict. Yet you learn that God's grace is sufficient and He keeps you near Himself. But God's grace God intends for His grace to work itself out within the fellowship of the church. And God intends for the church body to come around those who are hurting to support them and to hold them up when they are barely able to stand themselves. And so Paul calls Epaphroditus my fellow soldier. None of us are called to engage in spiritual conflict as individuals. We are to engage in spiritual conflict side by side. Together, we are stronger. We have some Boy Scouts here. They know what happens when you take all the scattered embers from a, from a campfire and you gather them together. The fire gets stronger. The flame gets hotter. And so also, it is a proven fact that a few soldiers working as a unit, working together as one, are stronger than many soldiers scattered about fighting individually. We like to call ourselves a church family, and it sounds real sweet. But for it to mean something, it also means that we need to strap on our spiritual armor and go to battle together and go to battle for each other. And as we'll see in a few moments, it will also mean that we will sacrifice for one another. And then finally in verse 25, Paul says that Epaphroditus is the Philippians' messenger and minister to Paul's needs. In other words, Epaphroditus was a servant. That's why the Philippians sent him to Paul, to serve Paul. In the church, you are never allowed to sit back and be served, except for the day after vacation Bible school. <laughs> you join a church, you become a member of the body of Christ in order to serve each other. This takes us back to Philippians three and I'm sorry, back to Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. A healthy church family is where everyone in the church is serving each other for their spiritual benefit. 
Epaphroditus is a model for what it means to be effective in your work for Christ's kingdom. He is a model for what it means to be effective as a member of the church. Now, Epaphroditus, there's nothing remarkable about him. He's not some kind of super Christian. He was, he was very ordinary. He wasn't an apostle. There's no indication here that he was a part of the leadership of the church. We don't know whether he was a deacon or an elder. Certainly not a pastor. He simply loved God. He simply loved the Gospel. He simply loved God's people. And he did what was necessary in God's grace to bless them. If Epaphroditus was special, more special uh, than any of us, it may be in only one respect. Look at verses 29 and 30. The Apostle Paul says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The one thing that maybe sets him apart is that he almost literally died in his service for Christ. In one way, we would say, that is remarkable. In another way, it's not really remarkable. We could turn to any number of passages of Scripture. Um, I had Mark, uh, Matthew 10 in mind, but I chose uh, Luke 14. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ... This is basic discipleship. This is ground floor Christianity. This must be true of you if you would be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, great crowds accompanied Jesus and He turned to them and He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you want to have life in Him, you've got to lose your life. You've got to take up your cross and follow Him. It was no great deal. No, no great shakes for, for uh, Epaphroditus to almost lose his life for the, work, for the sake of Christ. Because when he came to Christ, he lost it. Because he gave himself wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to trust in Him. There was a gentleman lived in the 1800s named Hudson Taylor gave his life to share the Gospel in China. Saw very little results. But he went hard after God. Hard after the people of China. He died, very little fruit. But you know what happened to his ministry after it died after he died? People he had witnessed to came to Christ. Missionaries followed him and it began to mushroom. Even communism in China is not able to stop the work of God that God began through Hudson Taylor. 
Listen to what Hudson Taylor said. He said, God is looking for some wicks to burn. And that's, that's how he counted himself. That's my life. I'm just a wick to burn. He says, the oil and the fire are free. Sacrificed himself for the gospel. Many of you know Jim Elliott, or know, rather know of him. He said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he went down to evangelize the Aka Indians in South America and gave his life. He and the, the three other men that went with them, they were killed by those Aka Indians. And Jim Elliott's wife turned around with the small children and went back to the Aka Indians and ended up leading that entire tribe for the most part to the Lord Jesus Christ. They lost their life for the Gospel. If you want to see a great movie um, about Jim Elliott, uh, End of the Spear is the name of the movie. If you want to see a person who sacrificed himself for the ministry of the Gospel, you say, but that's pretty heavy. I don't know that I can do it. Well, you know what? The Lord Jesus sacrificed Himself. Our Lord Jesus did not come here to be served, but to serve and lay down His life as a ransom for many. He sacrificed Himself. But in His sacrifice, He didn't just set us an example saying, okay, you can do it too. He went to that awful cross and became sin for us on that cross and died in our place. And He didn't just purchase our forgiveness there on that cross. He also purchased our new hearts. When we come to the Lord Jesus, we not only get forgiveness, where all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, even our future sins that we have yet to commit have already been taken away and forgiven. But we also get a new life. Our old life done away with. We no longer are slaves to sin. We're new people in Jesus Christ. We're a new creation, the Bible tells us. And not only that, the Holy Spirit Himself comes and takes up residence in our soul because He has taken up residence, because we belong to Christ, because He is at work in us. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And I am confident that every one of you who is in Jesus Christ, faced with Christ, are turning away from Christ, faced with death for your testimony to Christ, or life by denying Him, I am certain all of you who are in Jesus Christ would gladly give up your life. He means that much to you. Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life for the sake of Christ. And in so doing, he was effective in his walk and in his witness, in his service for the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, Epaphroditus didn't have it in himself. It was Your work in him. And so as we see 
Epaphroditus as we have examined his life in detail um, in these few verses. We are amazed at his faithfulness. But in remembering his faithfulness, we look beyond him to the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus who has told us without Him we could do nothing, but with Him all things are possible. That we can do all things through Him who gives us strength. That we can be faithful even when we think we can't. God, I pray for Your people. Help us to be faithful in our brotherly love, in our service, in our fighting the good fight for, um, for Christ. We ask all these things in His name. Amen.